Hi, this is Thomas from Quest and Chaos. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and joining us on this chaotic adventure. If you want to listen to our other exciting podcasts, such as Swords and Sages, Chaos Agent, Spelljammer, and many more, please visit our website at questsandchaos.com slash podcasts for links to your favorite podcast platform of choice. Now, if you enjoyed this content and want to support us, please consider joining our Patreon for exclusive content, cast interaction, and more at patreon.com slash chaos. Now, enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Untitled Podcast. You waiting for the the creaking and the wind? It's windy today. Yeah, and it feels like the building's going to collapse. Yeah, but the good news is our air conditioning doesn't work. Yeah, that's even better news. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I'm going to be sweating over here, just like ah. That's why this is going to be short, so we shouldn't be fooling around right now okay. with random banter. <laughs> Because eventually we will be just in a full ball of sweat, even though it's like two degrees outside. Yeah. All right. So uh, we have a cool show for you tonight. We've got this weekend. We We have this weekend. Can we just start all over? (laughs) That's totally fine. You usually end up keeping this as the intro to the (laughs) show. So let's just do the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Quest and Chaos. This is the Untitled Podcast. I am Thomas Cook, and this is... Oh, Amy Pooja. I was like, I thought you were going to reintroduce the show and be like, this is, I was like, you already said the Untitled Podcast. The Untitled Podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got a show today. Do we? I don't know. We may never get there. Uh, We are going to have an interview with Dom Zook of the Saving Throw Show uh, later this episode. But first, it is This Week in Kickstarter. Okay, we're going straight into it? Straight into it. What? So before we get into it, though, what's the episode number? I have on nine. How many fingers is that? <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to my toddler. How many fingers is that? That's Show me the five fingers. Plus four, nine. Okay. Sounds legit. No music? No music transition? Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> we a stormtrooper? Yes. That was, I was shooting all over the place. <laughs> Much like this podcast. Yep. All right. So uh, it's a, is it a vodcast? Because it's really on video. Like, more people consume this on video. Yeah, but here's the thing, is that we had this discussion at work about 100 times when people would say, oh, I need to shoot a podcast. I was like, what do you mean shoot the podcast? They're like, yeah, you know, like, record a podcast. I was like, so in the audio booth. They're like, no, in a studio. I was like, I'm like, that's not technically a podcast. I'm like, that's a video. That's a blog. That's a vlog. It's a vlog. It's a vlog. It's a webinar. No, it's not because I'm not really I'm not really doing a PowerPoint with anybody on how to do anything. So uh, we've got this week in Kickstarter, which you uh, had more time to look at than I did. So yeah. why don't we start off with this first one? It's an RPG. It's not just a one. All right. So this this is Allison missing a silent Alice role. is missing, not Alice Allen. Allison Chains is kind of where I went with that. <laughs> I felt it. I knew it. Uh, Lane Staley is in. It's weird. Is he also in this RPG? He's dead. All right. So Alice, Alice might be dead. Might be dead as well. <laughs> it's nothing to make fun of. Uh, Alice is missing a silent role playing game. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? That means a lot. Well, at first when I saw this, I saw this a couple weeks ago and I was like, mm, I don't know how I feel about this. It feels a little, it feels a little bizarre. 
Um, then I went back to take another look at it just because it kept popping up into my feed, recommending it to me. Um, and so it's not entirely silent, um, but essentially it's meant to be played using text. You know, and so after I read all of the information, I'm like, I think, you know, I figured out how I would play it. Um, but anyway, I digress. So do, would you like me to tell you a little bit about it? Should we Did roll you... the video and then you kind of tell us about it? Sure, I can. Um, Did I watch any of this? No. I oh, that's, that helps. Unprepared. Fantastic. I was just going to scroll through and comment on things that I think. <laughs> comment and stuff I say? Thanks. Uh, huh? Are we getting audio from this? No, we're not. So Fantastic. it is a snowy actually, Midwestern you, landscape. You could actually play the audio from this because there is, um, because it is a silent RPG, it does actually have a soundtrack with a countdown timer. So I'm just going to talk over this, but you could technically play the, the audio because the audio has been, is allowed for copyright. What did you do? That's I'm, a face. I'm, I'm using a laptop when I should be using a desktop. Ooh, that looks unhappy. I don't know what happened to your laptop there. And it's probably not have Photoshop open. Photoshop shouldn't be making this worth. Anyway, so Alice is Missing is about a junior high school girl who goes missing. And everybody in the game, including the, what they're calling the GM, is calling the facilitator, um, is a character. And they all have like a background, a backstory, a relationship to Alice. Um, and essentially, you kind of create the environment in which, you know what I mean? If it's high school or if it's, you know, something outside of high school, how you all know each other. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially what happens is this is a card-based game. And so you go ahead and you get, it's a 90, it's based on 90 minutes. And so at the top, the back of every card has the number of minutes that you are allotted to solve a clue. And so there's a clue deck, then there's like a location deck, and I forgot what the third deck is. But essentially at 90 minutes, you flip over the first clue um, it tells you what to do, and then everybody can either share information via a group chat or individually text each other. And so in the RPG itself, they show how people are using text. Um, but honestly, I think that it would be more, you know, it would it could potentially be um, easy to play via Discord. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at the RPG itself, they do a PDF version, there's a hard copy version, and then there's also a version to play with Roll20. So you don't actually physically have to be in the room together. So what they're okay. asking is that you are in a room together and that you're flipping these cards, but you're not having verbal dialogue, you're having text dialogue. And so when I was talking about the fact that there is copyright available music, there's a countdown timer, the music plays, and so you can know when it is 90 minutes, 80 minutes, flip the next card, 70 minutes, flip the next card. Gotcha. Um, so that's how that mechanic works. Is there anything else I'm missing? Because I feel like I just, in general, blurted all of this out. So essentially, at the end, you're supposed to record a kind of message for Alice, and that mm -hmm. gets played all at the end. And you're going to find out apparently where where Alice was, or hopefully solve the clue as far as where or the the where Alice is. Um, and like I said, there's also a roll twenty component, and so it's extremely inexpensive to play this. In fact, when I look at other things on Kickstarter, I'm really just blown away by the fact that the PDF is only $10. Okay. I mean, it's cheap. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, digital delivery of a PDF, you know, you are paying primarily for the production of, like, mm -hmm. 
the artwork and the design, you're not paying for the production of a physical thing. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying is that just thinking about, you know, it is Hunter's book. So they're the ones who made Altered Carbon. So they've made some big name games or big name RPGs mm -hmm. in here. Mm -hmm. um, and so just thinking about the, the labor, the you know, I mean, if this was my game, how many units are you pushing in order to get me paid and to get my artists paid and all of that, you know, right. and all of those individuals where I'm like $10 per PDF seems really inexpensive. Um, but it also but does scale make, at that point, I think. Yeah. And it also makes it really easy to distribute. So this one, we are in June right now. They have, I don't know how many days left on this one. Where's the top of this thing? So they have 21 days left. And essentially that makes sense because in 21 days we're in July and that's when they're going to do fulfillment and they're going to do fulfillment on drive through RPG. So, and then in November is when physical things happen. So I'm assuming that's when distribution is hopefully mm -hmm. started back up. Um, so again, I thought it was really interesting. And when the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't know, it feels weird. I don't know how to think about this yet. Then I started thinking about, well, how would you, if you were a hearing impaired person, would this be something that would be really intriguing for you? Because there really is no verbal communication at this mm -hmm. point. Um, you're just doing things, you're reading cards and you know doing it via text. And so then I was like, well, maybe I should actually look into the game a little bit further to figure out well, if you are a hearing impaired individual, how do you know what's on the card? How do you share mm -hmm. cards if you're all supposed to be in the same room? Right. Um, and I think Roll20 and things like Discord resolve all of those issues because you don't have to be in the same room. You can now read the cards online via a shared application like Roll20. Mm -hmm. um, or technically, you could probably share it via Zoom or... Um, you know, again, I want to say WebEx because I work there, but you know, and so you could actually share it in a space, you know, in a sharing mm -hmm. space. Um, and then somebody turns the cards over when it's time. Um, and then all of the chat is done like via WhatsApp or text, you know, again, or something that's a little bit cheaper, like, um, discord. I wonder if it could be played differently if you had more time than a 90 minute timer. You know, that was my other thought is because you're now not in the same room as people. Now it's a quote unquote silent RPG, but in fact, it's just probably like a regular, you know, to me, it almost feels very much like you could do this at the same time as being at work. Um, yeah, don't tell anybody that. Uh, but go ahead. I was just wondering, I mean, if you did that, I mean, mm -hmm. you're going to lose a lot of the um, time pressure elements that are probably in this. Okay. Um but also, how many times do you send out like a message and everybody but one person responds and you're like, oh, um, Alice is missing. And then you send everything out and you're like, oh, so is James and Bo is also <laughs> missing. Wait, we have to try them on Instagram. Hold on. Let me message. Them. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know. It would be... No one's stopping you. You're going to certainly try. Okay. I just, I think it could be something where... If you don't have the night, let's say you have longer than 90 minutes. Let's mm -hmm. say this is something that once a week or once every day a clue is flipped over mm -hmm. and everybody kind of has all day to simmer over it. And then, you know what I mean? And just sort of stretch it out a little bit so that it maybe takes nine days to finish this as opposed to 90 minutes. I'm oh, shut up. <laughs> it's forever. Nine days. What is this, Axis and Allies? <laughs> yes, it is. Just crazy ideas. I mean, it's meant to be played in 90 minutes, and unless you want to play it, um, I'll never know if mm -hmm. it could be something that could be over nine days. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Ice cream dice. You know about ice cream dice. 
Tiana has a sign. Tiana has a sign. Yes. That, that's how I know about ice cream dice. Well, and also, I just don't tell you things. I mean, I don't have a set, but I wanted okay. a set really desperately bad. Okay. And then I just was like, mm, I don't know if I should just be buying everything I see all the time. You know what I want? Ice cream sandwich. Me too. And that's the problem <laughs> with ice cream dice is the fact that right now I'm on their website looking at their first kick, or this, the dice that they had during their first Kickstarter. Uh, rip your float. Don't give me uh, it is my favorite. Oh, and I have root beer. Okay, I there may be a dissolve right now, and we may be starting this again in five minutes. <laughs> but we don't have ice cream here, we have root beer here, yes, but ice cream at home, correct? So there's so, gonna there's gonna be a little time, time, time lapse here about anyway. There's not gonna be a time lapse at all. We're gonna stop recording at some point, you're gonna go home and have root beer, ice cream floats, but remember the root beer. Okay, I will. I mean, this is now an entire goal. I don't even know what we're doing anymore. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit play on this video and hope this computer doesn't crash. Okay. Oh my goodness. I actually have not watched this video, um, just because, again, we knew about the dice. So Ice Cream Dice did an original Kickstarter, and it's based on you know candy. So right. it's root beer floats. Um, candy corn was another one that I truly love. Candy corn. I know the rest of the world hates candy corn, and that's fine. That's fine. But I happen to love it. Is it fine? No, actually, I think everybody should enjoy colored flavored nuggets as much as I do, <laughs> sugar nuggets as much as I do, but they don't. I don't know what's wrong with them. Whatever. What? Can you There's have something one? in my eye? I think it's hatred and terribleness. <gasps> you can't hate candy corn that much. Anyway. So, okay. So, so this is, uh, it is June, and this is their pride dice. Mm -hmm. So yep. these are, you know, the same sort of concept with the layered dice. Um, but with yep for all the colors different. of asexual, yeah. bisexual, lesbian, non-binary, pansexual, um, and so this is Mark's second Kickstarter that he's doing, and we are trying to line up a conversation with him to talk about the differences between his first Kickstarter and his second Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. um, again, the dice are really kind of beautiful, and one thing that I did notice that I found extremely exciting is your twenty dollar pledge. You get one set of dice but you also get in on some of the other rewards. And so with this Kickstarter, what I find fascinating is that the rewards are already fully baked. They're fully baked actually up to a large dollar amount. Um, and the fact that with $20, I'm getting, so again, I backed this by the way. Okay. I forgot that I backed this and then today I told you I backed this and I was like, oh yeah, apparently I'm getting some stuff here. $20 is also Canadian. So I don't know what that means. I know what it means in Europe. I don't know what Canada dollars About are. About $15. That's it? Yeah. Sweet. So what I'm getting for $15 <laughs> and I'm not sharing with you is I also get a sticker. Um, plus I'm also getting the little Bardic Inspiration coins. Mm -hmm. They're little wood coins. Um, and then there's some other extras that come on. So besides having like the dice chest or whatever it's called, um, which you can purchase, the... Oh yeah, and the big gay dice, I do like that one too. I kind of want that, I bet you it's really kind of expensive though. Anyway, anyway, um, I'm just rambling now. That's pretty too, I'm sorry. I'm just a sucker for pretty things, but. Stickers for all. Mm -hmm. One sticker, all the stickers. I don't know if I get all the stickers or not. It doesn't matter, because if you make me choose, I'll choose one. Um, then you get the blast, which is the, you know, the 1d4 add to all attacks, the little tokens, so the yeah. little inspiration tokens. And then there are, um, then there's the pins, pins. 
That correct? is very detailed. It is. It's really nice. And what Mark did is he joined up with other artists in order to create all of these goals that you're going to unlock. But I just, I thought it was interesting that it's like, oh, it's not, it's not dice related. It's like other ancillary products that you get and you automatically get it at the basic pledge level. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was cool. Um, and it just seems to be a really well thought out campaign this year. Um, so we'll... Shipping is also added on top. So I know. it will be I know. $25. I know. And in fact, when we talk with him, I would like to ask him what is wrong with Canada. Why is your shipping so difficult? Well, I mean, that's just, you know, yeah. I mean, international shipping is... Is expensive, yeah. yeah. So, you know, having fulfillment centers in different places reduces your shipment costs, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. you're going to send a... Container. I don't know if dice require a container like books do. No, because we get the Libra's I mean, you Arcana. You get like a big box. Yeah. They actually ship those from the U.S. I know. But like you can ship individual dice packages in just like a plastic baggie, yeah. essentially. Yeah. So looking at the, uh, I mean, looking back up at hmm. at uh, the sort of the dice uh, tray holder thing. Mm -hmm. Did I tell you that I backed that other one? No, but you might as well tell me now. <laughs> What it was one? it was actually I think I wrote it in a so if you had you had to watch the episode to see my text comments as I'm editing. I don't I whatever. <laughs> I'm not gonna rewatch this. I can barely get through it. <laughs> anyway, so, okay, so who did so, you no no no? Let's not let's not breeze past this. Who did you back? Uh the the other pride dice. I back them. No, I backed them. No, I back them. No, I backed them. So we backed them twice. Did you get the dice box? No, and I the didn't. Dice I just got like... the regular dice. Okay. Remember, we were fighting about. Nah, never. Mind. I don't know. I backed the because it was the whole thing of like the 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 dice came in each color yes. of the rainbow. Yes. And how I would like a full set of each of those until yes. I found out that it came in a cool wooden box and I wouldn't mix them up. So yes. then I backed it. Yes, and I think I had originally backed it before you backed it, so we both backed it. Okay. Anyway, what was our point? There is none. There is none. Okay. Uh, Kickstarter uh, is happening right now, 43,000. They are mm -hmm. probably going to pass their 137,000 that yeah, they raised. Yeah, because there's 24 days to go. So yeah. there are quite a few days to uh, get your ice cream dice. And again, it is, where's this? It's Is it ice cream? Nope, that's not it. Here, internet. Icecreamdice.com if you are interested in candy corn. Yes. And... Um, <laughs> Dice, uh, they go for a lot, um, and they're cheap to manufacture. Mm -hmm. Great parting words. Yes. So anyway, ice cream dice, cool designs, cool colors, uh, cool um, uh, celebration of pride. Mm -hmm. Happy so, June. Is it June? I don't know anymore. It's yeah. At least you're stopped <laughs> calling it March, right? <laughs> oh boy. All right, so that uh, that's actually going to wrap it up. This this is way longer than we thought it was going to be. That's because your the computer crashed twice or three times. Yeah. I can't even count anymore. We talked about rip your floats, which is always great. But before we wrap it up, I forgot. You have I to throw. toss it. So earlier this week, and in fact, by what I mean earlier this week, probably like yesterday, we talked to Dom Zook. So Thomas, how do you know Dom? Uh, we met on the internet about twenty years ago. Back when the internet was invented, were yeah. you guys on like what was it a chat? What was those yeah. chat boards? What was the what were those boards called? Well, we were. Uh, it was not. It was okay. It was after that. We were on mm -hmm. a site called IndieClub.com. 
for independent filmmakers. Yeah, indie filmmakers. Um, and I stay in touch with a handful of people mm -hmm. that I met on that forum. Uh, you know, some in L.A., some in Cleveland, uh, and some other also in L.A., which was really confusing to me. So, so when I kind of found Dom Zook. There we go. Back to the message. <laughs> uh, I was like, what? He's, 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 doesn't, he's not in L.A. He lives in Seattle. You know, like he did 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Things change. People move. Anyway, uh, you should toss to this this show. I actually have completely lost why I asked you how you know Dom, other than... <laughs> we met on an internet message board. That's it! That's it! That's also how we found our uh, current homebrew, home game thing 10 years ago. The internet. It's the wild, wild west. And, it's a crazy place to meet people. I answer ads for looking for D&D <laughs> players. And actually pretty much that's the only ads that I answer. Anyway, so I was hoping you would get a little bit more into, we started our Twitch channel. Oh God, you are useless today. You are absolutely, just scroll on the computer. That's all you do. <laughs> that's all your job is today. We started a channel and yep. then we started looking at the other things that were out there. Uh -huh. And then we saw Saving Throw Show and uh -huh. they were doing like in-studio, High quality stuff, great yep. role play. Good actors from LA. Actors, mm -hmm. and then I'm like, wait a minute, I know that guy. <laughs> Turns out to be Domzuk, who owns the channel and runs yep. the channel. And so we had an opportunity to deep dive with Dom uh, a yeah, couple we, days ago. We do, we talk tech, we talk uh, other stuff, mm -hmm. creative, yeah. workflow. Yep, a little bit. Yeah. So it's definitely a deep dive for all tech heads. So check yeah. it out. All right, we are here with Dom Zook from The Saving Throw Show. Dom, how are you doing right now? I I am okay. Thanks for having me. Awesome. <laughs> how are awesome. you? Hanging in there. That's, I think, the uh, yeah. you know the typical things that we are doing. So yeah. uh, for those that uh, don't know who you are and who The Saving Throw Show is, can you talk us uh, about, tell us who you are and, and what the show is? Sure, yeah. Uh, my name is Dom Zook, and uh, I run Saving Throw Show, which is a live stream tabletop uh, gaming channel. Uh, we stream live on Twitch and have our VODs also on YouTube. Uh, and we've been doing that since about uh, 2014. So at this point, about six years. Uh, and yeah, it's just, just sort of been running that <laughs> as, as well as can be expected for for most of the time, running out of a studio, uh, similar to you guys, and uh, uh, yeah. What was that that sort of uh, that initial inspiration for you to start streaming? Um, initially, we we wanted to run a series of instructional videos teaching people how to play Pathfinder, and uh, we ran a Kickstarter, uh, raised the money, did those videos, and ended up with a little bit of extra money. And one of our our goals or stretch goals was to do a live stream of what we were teaching basically so we did one show that was four hours long uh and we rented a studio and everything like that and i loved it um coming from a filmmaking background and everything it, it really kind of tied in everything that i enjoy about um the process in addition to playing a game and uh i thought this would be great if we could do this weekly not a whole lot of people are doing this right now uh oh <laughs> how early i was in the uh in the world but um yeah it uh it really kind of struck a chord with me the 
also coming from a theater background and stuff, having that direct connection to the audience was really cool. So uh, it just sort of naturally progressed out of those tutorial videos into a uh, let's let's actually stream us playing a game and do it in a in a style that is um, fun and dramatic and uh, closer almost to like a radio play than uh, than a casual game around a table, uh, although it, it is that too. But uh, yeah, it, it just sort of started like that and can kind of evolved um, into what it is now throughout various tech upgrades and, and um, uh, casts and games and systems and all of that. Did you play, like, what did you, so tell me a little bit about your gaming experience before this, you know, so how did you, um, how did you get into, you know, bridging the gap between playing games and live streaming? I started playing uh, with basic rules D&D back in 86. Uh, and then in 87, I started with second edition D&D, which was sort of my big kind of influx into RPGs. Uh, and then I played off and on for a number of years from there. When I moved to college, uh, or when I started college anyway, I kind of fell off the RPG bandwagon, although I kind of paid a little bit of attention to it as, as things went on, but I, I didn't have the time for it. Then flash forward to about 2013, and myself and a few friends wanted to get uh, games going again we all had kind of fallen off the wagon some of us had not started before and so that kind of prompted me to jump back into the gaming world and um when we were going to teach when we were trying to do the tutorial we we searched to find tutorials that we found engaging and entertaining and uh, i wasn't able to find that uh so i decided to make my own thing and then that like i said sort of transitioned into a streaming because i wasn't able to see the kind of streaming rpg shows that i wanted to watch uh everybody around a table everyone kind of uh you know a building and and engaging and having rich stories and characters uh so yeah that was sort of a big component of what I wanted to do, not seeing what I what I wanted to see, basically, and making it happen. Do you think that so sort of when you started was was at the you know Pathfinder was at the peak of the industry, right? Versus yeah. fourth edition. Mm -hmm. Do you how did you find the next couple of years that transition where fifth edition actually came out and started gaining a lot of traction? Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because we did um, very initially. Our, our initial thought, because a, a couple of us, I, I started the channel uh, with my friends Tyler Rhodes and Benjamin Dunn, and Tyler and I had both kind of cut our teeth on second edition D&D. And our initial thought was, hey, let's teach second edition D&D. And we knew that there were editions before that or after that, uh, but we were like, uh, we started going around and telling people, hey, we're going to teach people how to play second edition D&D because no one's doing that. And they're like, you know, there's a reason no one's doing that. And so we said, oh, okay, well, uh, then what can we do? And people were like, well, how about Pathfinder? And um, uh, I checked out Pathfinder, and it was great. And yes, it was at the top of the game at that point. And uh, we did the tutorials on Pathfinder, but th by the time those tutorials came out, D&D Next, which became D&D 5th Edition, uh, was already gaining traction. And by the time we were ready to start streaming 5th Edition, uh, excuse me, 5th edition was the uh, 
the game of choice at that time. So we just jumped into streaming fifth edition and and Pathfinder just was relegated to our tutorials at that. Time. Did you start those new shows um, or did you convert characters and, and stories over to that fifth edition? We started as a brand new show. Yeah, uh, it was because we had basically a new cast, um, a couple familiar faces, but new cast, uh, new GM, everything like that. We wanted to hit it and we wanted, we were still interested in teaching. So we wanted to start from first level and go from there. Um, and that's kind of where we uh, um, developed sort of the nature of the channel, which was, was an instructional channel that also sought to entertain. So yeah, starting low and going high with, uh, <laughs> with characters and systems. And then what was the process then of, of sort of becoming a channel, right? So expanding out from, hey, we've got this show that we're streaming to we're a channel and we've got Five a shows, lineup. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, th that was an interesting leap for sure. Um, we, we started streaming every other week and we were streaming out of a garage. It was very much a, hey, my mom can make costumes and, you know, <laughs> type of thing. And uh, uh, I, loved, I loved every second of it, except I remember Tyler and I would always be setting up the garage Thursday night and then taking it down late Friday evening because it, it was a garage and they needed to park cars and store things in there and everything like that. So, um, we were we resolved we were like you know if we could expand and have another show i think we could grow our audience a little bit more if we could do this weekly the problem of course being we can't do it weekly because it takes too much time for setup and everything but if we had a studio that wouldn't be such a big thing so we started researching and we eventually found a place that we could move into not our current place sort of our, our middle ground and um uh, that allowed us the opportunity to sort of expand and bring in more shows, more systems, more people. And that's when we kind of started getting, okay, this is a channel. This is a thing. This is actually expanding more than, than we thought it would. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's where it sort of started. Okay. So I want to talk about some of the specifics in that transition. So, um, Film and film and TV experience. So I kind of want to just take you back through that journey, except talk to talk about it more on a technical day to day. What do you do kind of side of it? Um, just so that mm -hmm. everybody understands, like, did you live stream before you did this channel? Um, how did you transition over? Like, did you, you know, when you went to college, was that an education in film and TV or theater? And then did, how did you get into live streaming? What were some of the challenges when you did do live streaming or was it a seamless transition? Cause you're like, oh yeah, I used to do sports and you know, we had a, you know, we had a truck and all this other stuff. And now I had to just downgrade, um, all the right. way through <laughs> making those other shows. Like, you know, what's your intent with those shows? Like how much do you produce those shows before they actually go into production? You know, so kind of walk me back through that, that history of the actual video producer side of it. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, I got my degree in theater uh, and um, I had no intention of getting behind the scenes and working production. My, my intention was to become an actor. Uh, but that quickly vanished uh, about a year or two years into my acting career, uh, and I realized that I actually enjoyed working behind the scenes much more. Uh, and I 
wanted to get into, I had, you know, inspirational um, and aspirational um, ideas of, of what I wanted to do. And I actually got involved in the local uh, um, uh, public access TV up in Seattle. And that actually sort of sparked my interest in uh, uh, editing and camera work and the technical side of things. And it also was my first live experience uh, working with production. And I went from that and started working and producing short films and uh, um, had success with that and then developed that over the next several years until I decided finally to move down to LA and uh, pursue it uh, more or less full time. From there, I started working actually as a producer doing uh, home entertainment, DVD, Blu-ray uh, menus and special features and things like that. Uh, and that sort of taught me a lot of the sort of other side sort of graphics, working with, with crews, things of that nature. Um, and I just sort of tied all of that stuff together when I work on Saving Throw. So I produce everything sort of full time. Uh, uh, I, I do, you know, graphics, I do casting, I do accounting, I do uh, all the tech, technical direction, everything, everything is, is me, basically. Um, the only thing I don't do uh, is social media uh, 100%. I have a little bit of help with that. Um, and uh, beyond that, I'm, I'm working and, uh, and generally the sole technical director during every live show, except for a, a show that I'm in. Um, and yeah, it basically takes all of that expertise. I'm, I'm in Photoshop every day, uh, uh, designing overlays and uh, uh, pop-ups. I'm reading, you know, industry papers about, uh, upgrades to streaming technology and stuff like that. Um, I'm working with with cast and, and crew with GMs to sort of establish their the tone of their shows. And we, we have discussions and, and, and pre-show meetings and stuff to talk about directions that we want to go. Um, and uh, the thing is, is it's crazy because it's 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 live, right? So and and by live, I mean, not only are we live on the internet, but the story is being created as we speak. It's, it's an improv experience. So we have no, I have no way of knowing where it's going to go. And to try to plan something out, it for me is impossible. And, I, and there are uh, shows I'm sure that capitalize on, on that and are able to, to play with it a little bit. But I, I have always felt that it was uh, stronger to not, not try to pre-plan anything. So we do a lot of like safety work to know that we're not going into dangerous territory in terms of the story and stuff like that. But we also um, are keeping it flexible so that uh, the show can kind of just be. Uh, and my goal is always to make sure that the technical side of things does not overshadow the story side of things. So I, I I try to hide the technical as much as possible so that it just feels like it's people sitting around a table and you have no idea that there are cameras and microphones or anything like that there. But uh, 
yeah, there's a lot of lot of discussion that happens beforehand about how things are going to look, what sort of lighting we're going to use, sound effects, music, things like that. And um, yeah, I'm working on all of that. Nice. And uh, just a quick question outside of this: Are you partnered on Twitch? At yes. this point, okay. yeah, we are a Twitch partner. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Twitch, Twitch, and YouTube. Okay, so was Twitch the first place that you went when you went to live streaming, or did you? Was that like? Yeah. A, did we, you start with them? Uh, we we initially we started co-streaming on Twitch and YouTube, mm -hmm. and we we uh, Twitch was where I found I almost no one was streaming on YouTube yeah. uh, at the at the time and uh most of the of the channels that i was watching um were all on twitch mm -hmm. uh, any any rpg channels that i that i saw were all on twitch I and mean, then this is before geek and sundry had started and stuff like that so there were only a few mm -hmm. people who were actually streaming D, D. um and uh i knew that the community was there and that we could build off of that and and the uh, YouTube community at the time was was hard and difficult. Even though we had way more uh, followers and subscribers on YouTube than we did on Twitch, mm -hmm. it was still uh, we could not get people to watch a live stream. Whereas Twitch, everyone was focused on live streams and they knew what they were they mm -hmm. were getting into. So yeah, we we pretty much focused our attention on Twitch uh, when we very first started. So I just want to kind of touch base a little bit on when we started to do our channel. Yeah. Because we we hadn't been really watching a lot of Twitch at all. So I had been watching um, YouTube plays uh, of modules that I was running, you know, and then and seeing like, yeah. this is 30,000 views on, you know, this. I'm like, okay, so, you know, as, and then as a uh, technical director and a video person, it's like, oh, we, we could we could easily do way better than they do technically. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So then it's a matter of you know talent and acting and story and all the other stuff, and the actual you know, thing. The actual <laughs> thing, but <Yeah. laughs> um, and then season two of Critical Role came out, and I had tried to watch and listen to Critical Role, the season one, but it was really hard to get into just the technical problems that I you know I was expecting a much better pr presentation. Um, you know, and they grew, you know, they learned as they grew, but uh, when season two came out, I immediately said, oh, technically I can do that. That's, that's something out my wheelhouse. And then we started to do this and then I started researching shows and I saw you. I'm like, wait, I, I know that guy. Wow. He's on, he's on like one of the best show, you know, best channels that there is. And then like message, well, and then I message you and it's like, oh, you, that, that, that is your channel. I'm like, that's pretty rad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's been interesting watching the evolution of streamed RPGs because when we started, we did live switching. We we did not do the five person layout, you know, plus or whatever to to begin with. Because for me, I a I grew up on that. That was that was real basic uh, public access TV work for me, you know. And to me, that was more cinematic. Uh, it, it felt like a TV show because I was focusing on on someone. Um, and then when Geek and Sundry started and Critical Role started and I saw their layout, I was all like, okay, that's neat, but I don't know who to focus on. And it kind of took me a while. And then um, I 
when we made our leap to this current studio, I knew that um, a live switching like that is a skill <laughs> and it's very hard to teach. And uh, I wanted to be able to have something that was a little bit more flexible so that I could hand off the technical direction to someone. Uh, and um, most of the people that knew that very well um, were expensive. So <laughs> I, I wanted to have something that was easy and everyone could kind of get into it. And so we then adapted to, to that model of, of having everybody on the screen. And the interesting thing about it was that a lot of people who were doing remote streaming, and that was probably the large, and still is the largest, um, the predominant form of live stream RPGs is remote streaming with all the windows everywhere. Um, and so it just, it was a natural sort of connection. And it, we, very early on, we had, um, we had a dice cam. And so we would cut to the dice can to see what the role was. And uh, our audience loved it. But the problem was, is that we would be on the dice camera and we wouldn't see the reaction of what happened. And we quickly found that it was way more important to show that reaction than it was to, to show the dice camera. And so while we had a few people going, oh, I wish I could see that role, uh, I, I was like, you know, I could add another window in here and we could show you that role but A, you probably won't be able to read the dice, and uh, B, who cares? <laughs> you know, at that point, look at the faces, you know, the faces are what's going to be more important, and then having them all laid out there allowed everyone to see the reactions, and it opened up a lot of windows, and so we've sort of adapted to the times and to kind of what the Twitch landscape is in terms of uh, what you can see, and it's been a really interesting process, kind of someone will come in and start something brand new. Um, uh, uh, Straticus uh, is, is a Twitch streamer uh, and uh, they stream a lot. And uh, one of the things they do is um, uh, they have live captions for all of the, and they do it remotely and they have live captions for every single person. Uh, and I reached out, I was like, how are you doing that? And, and quickly uh, showed me a tutorial and, and showed me how to do it. And uh, I hope that we can start doing that, but there's so many things that are kind of coming in that I notice a lot of people coming in from a TV background and stuff and are trying to overproduce. And uh, I often am, when I'm called in to do like live streaming, uh, freelancing and stuff like that, I'm like, you, you can cut half of this stuff because it's not necessary. It's like, yeah, it is absolutely brilliant to have all of these lights and all of these cameras and all of this crew and stuff. I would love to have that, but it's not necessary because when I, I'm literally running the entire studio by myself, not by choice necessarily, but uh, it's possible. And, and I think that's a really cool thing about live streaming is that, and, and it's something that I teach uh, in panels and stuff when I go to conventions and, and it's it's how to do that, how to get started in this. And it's something that I've always enjoyed doing um, uh, way back when I was you know producing short films and stuff like that. And it's like, let's focus on story and then let's get the technical stuff. And I'm a, I'm a huge tech head. So 
like sometimes I have to draw pull myself back because I'm like, oh, you know, if we could put you know camera up there, we could have that there and then loop that in through here so that this guy remotely, you know, and I start working all of that stuff. And then I'm like, nope, no, 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 no. Let's get the camera on the people and then go from there. Also, does budget affect that? Because I work with, so I work in live streaming and I work with somebody who also has a Twitch channel and he's my video engineer. And so we are the specialists because both of us have Twitch experience that we will go on site with, uh, you know, with basically a kit that supposedly the two of us can carry. I don't carry so much, but, um, <laughs> but I find myself because I have the budget with these, you know, with, with corporate clients that I'm like, why don't we just add these five things and then I can cut the show and then, and then you can do this and we should have a backup encoder. And then he's like, whoa. Yeah stop yeah. yeah you know because i'm thinking in that oh i could have a chiron machine and i can have all of these things because i'm just used to having a budget that allows this to do that um so yeah. when you talk people down like someone like me who's like you know whoa whoa whoa, i need lower thirds and they need to pop up at this time like what are the fundamentals that you would tell somebody you know it's either from the bottom i don't know anything up or from my end where you're just like you need to cut all this stuff and this is what you need kind of where's that ground when you're talking to clients or yeah. other people you know it, it it sort of starts with the fundament the fundamentals as you say but um of, of software um that usually i usually have people coming in and wanting tricasters and uh starting with a big you know thing and yeah tricaster is awesome but a regular old you know thousand dollar pc with obs studio uh installed on it can also do most everything that you need um and uh the the budget obviously yeah i'm i'm like you if if the budget's there absolutely i will add things in there that i think will enhance production uh value but um i find that once you are able to have a a clean picture and clean audio those are the two things especially the audio that's that's what i have people focus on is get great microphones, get a great audio uh, director in there and get that sounding great. Cause I've been on, on so many professional productions where, you know, I, I'm the audio guy <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not an audio guy, uh, but I'll get you close, you know? And that's, I feel where most people run into problems, me included on, on in my studio stuff where I'm also still the audio guy uh but focusing on those two things i think is 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 crucial having said that um i i i obviously talk to those producers and determine what they're trying to show you know um if it's an esports thing obviously we're going to need some chirons we're going to need some lower thirds we're going to need some uh graphics and things like that and so you know bringing people in that can that can produce that stuff is is going to be uh, important, but um, I, I try to distill it down to what is what is the absolute bare minimum that you need. You need a uh, a media bin that you can throw to, uh, and you need your talent on camera. Great, like I can do that, no problem. Give me one camera and a computer and and a microphone, and we can do that. Um, so yeah, it it. It scales obviously, and I know that as the budgets get bigger uh, and the companies get bigger, the more they want to be able to throw money at it. Uh, and uh, I appreciate that. 
Um, and <laughs> I, I and you know, frankly, I, I love playing in those in those sandboxes. But uh, but I think bottom line, like um, it's not crucial. But especially when it comes to streaming RPGs and stuff, which is admittedly my forte, there's a lot of stuff that that you don't need to show off. I, there, I, I could go on and on about wish list items that I would love to have, but but I, I there's nothing that I absolutely need. So do you use OBS for? Um, when you're in studio? I use OBS Studio uh, primarily. Um, I've used TriCaster, I've used vMix, I've used Wirecast. Um, mm -hmm. uh, OBS still, to me, uh, for the money, free, um, it's, it's really hard to beat. Uh, and the fact that there are so many plugins and stuff to it. I don't use Streamlabs OBS, and I know a lot of people use that, and I think it's a great piece of software, but it's um, in terms of flexibility and stuff like that, I always recommend people take the time to learn OBS Studio mm -hmm. because you'll be so much happier in the long run. Um, but uh, yeah, OBS Studio has been tried and true for me. I used XSplit a long time ago, um, and the minute I switched over to OBS and picked it up, I there was no turning back. So I've, again, I don't know if it's audience specific, but one thing that we think about all the time is because, again, we're sort of used to the fact that, you know, when I'm in studio at work, I have somebody who's doing video playback and they're going to count me in. Um, how do you resolve some of those shortcomings that OBS doesn't do? Like it doesn't on video playback, like let's say you're going to go to break and you're going to play a video. Um, unless you know the total runtime and you're counting it in, like, how do you know what you're, you know, how do you know when you're 10 seconds and back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's definitely, the, that's, that's a huge shortcoming. And it's one I hope that they <laughs> fix in a, in a, in a future release. It's, it's honestly that specific problem has been one of the, the only times that I've entertained moving over to something like vMix, but, uh, which is also an awesome piece of software, but also seven hundred dollars plus for for something that we we could use. So, um, I that happens a lot because we use obviously we use a lot of media. We have intros, we have countdowns, we have uh, things like that. So, um, the, I obviously watch the media beforehand, so I know the length and I know, we usually pad the media with a little bit of black at the end. So I know that when it hits the black, I've got a beat or two before I need to cut it over to something. Yeah. Um, so it, that's our simplest answer for those types of things. Um, I also have a stream deck uh, that I set uh, timers to, so I can, you know, hit the timer when I start media. So I know kind of where we're at. Um, but uh, yeah, that is a shortcoming in, in that software. Um, admittedly, um, you know, one of, few i feel <laughs> and and for for what it for what it is but uh yeah there's definitely i feel for 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 enterprise clients and stuff like that i've used wirecast and vmix uh and tricaster obviously i mean yeah tricaster is is a just professional grade um i i was using tricaster for for a project and um it it was overkill but it was nice to have uh in, in terms of of the features that it that it gave us but um yeah i don't know i i do feel like there are a lot of workarounds but it, it can get kind of janky the more you try to add into it <laughs>
And then things like, um, so when you're in studio, where are you in comparison to your talent? Um, you know, kind of walk us through some of that day from just like, when do you expect everybody to be there? Um, you know, is your studio set up already where you just come in and turn on the lights all the way to, okay, I need everybody to sit down counting in your talent to be like, we're going to go live and, you know, in five seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Everything in our studio is essentially set up. Uh, we just have a standing set and, um, uh, people have their own seating assignments and all of that. So generally we ask for, for 30 minutes before call time, uh, or bef before we start. Um, uh, and, and then I'm counting them down. So we have our, our space is about 13 by 30 or so. Um, and, uh, I usually sit in the middle at our sort of production station. We have a green screen on one end of the studio and then we have our standing set uh, at the other end of the studio. Got it. So you're in yeah. the actual set itself. You're in the same room. Yeah. Okay. I'm in the same room. Yeah. 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 So you have to be, um, you can't loud type basically is what you're saying. <laughs> no. And, and I, you know, it's funny at one point I had, I had a nice, very nice mechanical keyboard. Um, but my, my keycaps, yeah, my keycaps were, were a little too loud and uh, uh, you could easily hear. So I've, I have a mat down and I have a, a almost silent keyboard. Uh, it's still, if you, if everyone is silent, you can still pick it up, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. You know yeah. I'm going to listen um, for it. But uh, we have, you know, we have some sound baffling and stuff that we've put up to try to minimize any sort of, uh, you know, crossover and stuff like that. But I also try to make it part of the show when it, when it makes sense to, you know, if they call out and a lot of times the GMs will be like, Hey Dom, I don't know what's going on tomorrow. Can you tell me? And then, you know, I'll yell it out and it becomes sort of a thing, but uh, ideally I would love to have a separate, a separate space for that uh, and be able to do um, things, especially when we have, you know, problems and when I need to freak out and <laughs> I don't want to do it with, you know, the camera's on. Obviously, I'm not on camera, but uh, it, it still helps. Just so your talent can actually see you. They could actually look over or side-eye and see that you're, you know, doing something or not doing something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's nice for me when I'm sitting at the table and I've got someone filling in and, and running the tech, and I can always look. And when I start seeing them swiveling between computers and stuff like that, and I'm like, oh, okay, what's going on, you know? And I'll kind of lean back and I'll be like, Okay, you know, and then <laughs> uh, so it is handy in that regard. But uh, um, but yeah, ultimately, I hope we can we can someday move to you know a bigger setup where we can have an, an actual room, a control room, and stuff like that. So when um, when you had to go virtual, how did you? How are you managing that? Because again, like with VMix and other things, you can actually remote into your studio. But yeah. like, what did you do? And, you know, are you actually sitting at the desk that you're running shows from now? And how are you kind of managing to that? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm in my apartment. And this is my studio. <laughs> now. Um, we, you know, we made a decision uh, to move into remote play uh, for the safety of all of our players and stuff. Um, and uh, it, it was honestly a crash course, because Remote play is not something that I ever intended on doing. It was not part of the initial um, purpose of the channel, which was showing people around a table. Um, and uh, I uh, admittedly had sort of stayed out of that side of things. I had kind of looked at 
the, the, the products that were out there for remote play uh, and I would watch streams that did remote play and I'd go, oh, that's kind of interesting how they did that and never really touched on it from there. So I had to do, basically I did like a one day crash course into, okay, what's what are my options here? And the last time I had really done remote play, I was using um, Skype and uh, you know it was haphazard at best. And then uh, now Zoom is out and everyone is using Zoom. So we, I, I quickly loaded up Zoom and go, okay, what, what's, what's my capability here? What do I need? Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I was very lucky. I mean, and I think this is a, that's sort of a testament to the age we live in, but all of my players already had a webcam of some kind, a microphone of some kind, and a computer of some kind that they could all log in. Um, and uh, Zoom was neat in that we could do virtual backgrounds, which are fun, but extremely annoying for me. But, um, <laughs> but when they get real fun. close to the camera and your hand disappears, yeah. <laughs> so we kind of just leaped before we mm -hmm. could look, really. And, and just like, I know I can set this up and I know there's a way to do it. And so I, I did that. And initially I was bouncing between the studio and running things from there and my home. And uh, with um, the shelter, the, then the shelter in place order came down. Yep. So we, we were doing this before shelter in place started. We were just like, no, let's not even do this. So I think in, in March, in early March, we started doing um, a remote stream. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, yeah, we just, it was weird. <laughs> it was, it was really weird, but, um, but the pivot, the pivot happened very quickly. And uh, ever since then, I've just been growing and upgrading sort of what we're capable of and, and using now what we can, the, the software and the tools available, like that captioning thing that Stratacus does, we couldn't do that in the studio. We couldn't have individual captions for every person. Uh, we could, it would just be really expensive to have everyone sort of mic'd up that way and, and stuff. But uh, um, now it's something we can do. Uh, and um, how the information we show and stuff like that, the graphics and everything. Are there, so there's a lot of tools that we can sort of play with now that we can't in a live setting necessarily. I do want to jump over content, yeah. uh, to content a little sure. bit and sort of um, kind of specifically talk about if if you are allowed to, um, how the Ravnica show show came to be, you know, how did you approach uh, Watsi or did they approach you looking for uh, partners to to kind of promote that or how how did that work? Ruben Bressler, who is the GM of uh, Ravnica, he actually approached us initially wanting to team up and do a show based in the new book that was um, coming out. Or actually, no, that wasn't even that. <laughs> the book had not, we, no one knew that the book was coming out. So uh, he wanted to do a, a team up D&D Magic the Gathering show. And we thought that that was a great idea. We had several Magic the Gathering fans on the channel. Let's do it. And uh, he pitched the idea to Watsi and they said, we've got a book coming out. Why don't you do it? And, and it just happenstance, it just sort of, it, the, the, it, it just happened, <laughs> you know, that way. And, and yeah, so we, 
we became um, that the first uh, live stream show to, to do the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica um, in an official capacity. And um, yeah, it, that's, that's kind of how it came about was just, it just so happened they were doing, they were planning on doing the same thing that we were planning on doing. And um, we had been working, wanting to work more directly with WOTC uh, on, on projects and uh, trying to find ways to do that. And uh, it luckily it, it came about in the, in the way that it did. And yeah, we're, we were happy to do that. As content makers, are they very hands-off when it comes to how you use their content? Are they like, here's the book, good luck, call me. Call me if you got a problem. You know, the thing that I found with a lot of companies and we've, we've worked with companies before presenting sort of official content for them and stuff like that. And the, the great thing about tabletop companies is a lot of them just want their content, their, their products to be shown, um, to be people, to have people enjoying them. So it's less about, uh, the rules and you must show this or anything like that like i'll we'll have companies come and say you know it'd be cool if you kind of showed off this character class or this spell or something this is new this is not new and we ask them to see you know if there's anything specific they want us to cover but um yeah uh watsi's been pretty pretty good about allowing us to sort of just run the show we want to run and uh they they don't they don't tell us these are things you have to have necessarily. They they see fairly eye to eye uh, with us in terms of what we want to produce. So. How do you see how do you see um, your other RPGs compared to the D and D uh, type of stuff? You know, we just as far as audience reach and engagement. Yeah, I mean, we we have our show Wild Cards, which is the show that I'm on, uh, is a Savage Worlds based uh, stream, and um, that has grown significantly and and in some ways faster than our D&D content uh, by virtue of a a committed fan base a committed company behind it and um, uh, a lack of other <laughs> savage world streams um, and uh, that's a very I, I don't know that's sort of a harsh way of, of looking at it I think that's a very clinical way of looking at it Personally, it's because of the stories that we tell and what we're doing. Um, I feel that are why people continue to tune into it and why we're continually able to add more people to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, D&D is interesting because it's sort of the, the de facto standard right now for better or worse on Twitch. And, and this is something that I harp on all the time on my channel. But, you know, D&D was the tabletop category forever uh and that that has hurt i feel a lot of uh companies and a lot of streamers because it it makes it makes it difficult to shift out of that category and a lot of new people come in and they think everything is dnd uh that dnd equals rpgs and um that's something that that we've thought very hard to um uh distance ourselves and educate people on uh in, in terms of what we stream and um you know we stream on the savage world in the savage worlds category we we before savage worlds category there was tabletop rpgs before tabletop rpgs we did D, &D. and when we 
we're under D&D streaming Savage Worlds, we had to constantly be like, this isn't D&D. People are like, I don't get it. You know, this isn't D&D, this is Savage Worlds. And then tabletop RPGs, we had to explain this to Savage Worlds. Now we stream under Savage Worlds. And it's like the audience, the available audience has dwindled with each category. However, our audience has maintained, uh, thankfully, um, through it all, because it's less about the system i feel like in a way and more about they're they're now following the channel and they're and they want to see what what we're producing from it but what we've had great support from from pinnacle and from watsi and from the other companies that we've worked with to um to really present uh their systems in the way but I, i've had to really fight that fight with with other channels and other other people about uh how they are streaming what they're streaming under because D&D is such a, a monolith um, in the world. You know, when we were, when we started our Cthulhu show, I don't think tabletop RPGs was out. So we were, um, we were Still in D&D. &D. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then even when tabletop RPGs came out, we stayed under D&D &D for a little while just because that's, you know, there was 20 people over in tabletop RPGs. Uh, right. Yeah. So yesterday, yeah. though, I do have to say, I logged on yesterday. There were more people watching tabletop RPGs than there were watching D and D, and I think it was just because of the time, as well, because it was a huge European audience. When I went to tabletop RPGs, that it was like, oh, okay, half of this stuff isn't in English. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating following that sort of industry, that streaming, uh, the streaming tabletop industry, uh, anyway, and. Because when we when we were sort of at our heyday before the the pandemic sort of shut a lot of things down, we were streaming four or five shows a week, and they were all different uh, systems. And with, before we moved to tabletop RPGs, when it was just D and D, yeah, we were streaming Edge of the Empire, uh, Call of Cthulhu, uh, Lasers and Feelings. We were doing so many things. Yeah, under, I saw twelve your twelve candles yeah. thing. I think you guys did as yeah. well. Yeah, or ten candles. Yeah, ten candles. Ten sorry, candles. that's yeah. it. I'm sorry, yeah, it's yeah. not Hanukkah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> um, uh, that's a different game, but it's uh, uh, yeah. The Ten Candles was under D and D, and and yeah, people are like, "Oh, is this a cool new way to play D and D?" It's like, yeah, it is a cool new way to play D and D <laughs> with a totally different, a completely book. different way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's been it's been interesting, sort of educating um, the world because you know a lot of the Twitch audience we've noticed. Uh, a lot of the RPG audience doesn't know Twitch as well. They know that things happen on Twitch, but to the large majority of people um, outside, uh, Critical Role is and will be the only RPG show that ever will exist. And what they play is, um, uh, and this is not this is not a a swipe at Critical Role, who does an amazing job. But their their style of D and D will be the style of D and D that people look to emulate and want to play and everything. And and honestly, I know that that sucks for them. They don't want to be that. <laughs> but it's it's for better or worse, such a huge huge audience is tuning in for that. And uh, it's it's definitely been an interesting sort of um, how we how we juggle that landscape. And, that was kind of my next specific question that I sort of wanted to beat around the bush to get to, but I mean, really, how did, when Critical Role came on, how has that affected your strategy, not only when you talk about, I'll do the five up camera view or whatever, as opposed to doing a cut show, right. but how does that affect your strategy for your channel itself? 
the way I liken it is to the independent film boom of the early 2000s and stuff. It's like no one can be Napoleon Dynamite. No one can be Clerks. Um, uh, they are their own things and don't try to be that. Uh, the things I try to pull away from uh, Critical Role are technical things. I any behind the scenes photo I can yeah. I can Us too. To find. We're like what? Yeah, I will. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I and mean, it's go, to oh, the my, point. Oh, my place. Yeah. yeah, it's to the point where we're like, how far do you think the background is from the foreground? You know what I mean? Like we're yeah. literally <laughs> more space yeah, yeah. than we have. Yeah, exactly, more space <laughs> than we have. Exactly, and I, I have no space in my studio for, for, for that stuff. It's like, I would love some depth of field here, but there's no way I can get it. Um, and uh, yeah, and there are some things obviously we cannot, we cannot uh, replicate, but, but knowing sort of what they're working with. And, and I visited back when they were at Geek and Sundry, I visited the studio. And so I was able to see kind of what they're working with. And um, I, I know that they transitioned a lot of that when they moved into their own channel and stuff. Um, and yeah, it's it's amazing what they're doing, and that they are certainly trailblazing uh, a lot of it. But uh, but yeah, sometimes you know it's hard, and I just kind of wish people would know to look for other things. But you know, I think our, our audience is absolutely astounding. They they always show up, you know, and and they watch Critical Role too. Um, and I think that it's, there's no reason um, that there can't be more than one streaming RPG channel, obviously. Um, and it, when they came onto the scene, it was, it was more a, yeah, there, you know, we're, there's no way for us to, we, we don't have that lead in audience, you know, we, we don't have arresting, you know, 1200 people just waiting for the show to come back on. And then that balloons up when, when we do come on, you know? Um, it's, it's interesting from a number standpoint, so, sort of seeing what they're capable of doing and stuff. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I'm sure if, if it continues, and I hope that it does, um, it will be fascinating to see people writing about how um, Critical Role sort of shaped streaming a, a little bit because um, you know it's it, twitch was is is and is still primarily video game based um and and there is no one remotely close to streaming at the level that critical role is streaming at in terms of audience uh for yeah for tabletop streaming um and so yeah um uh it, it's definitely they're an inspiration but it's also um a a uh, case study in in what works and what doesn't work and and all of that. I wanted to ask a question when you mentioned that that um, for people who watch D and D that that's their style of D and D. So how like what kind of in some sense is your mission statement for your channel when you know so obviously you guys play a very different style. Like what's your aesthetic? What's your what's your impetus? What's your thought and feeling as far as the channel the shows that you put on? Like what do you tell people? This is what we're here to do. I would say our games are more RP heavy uh, than they are um, uh, tactics and, and um, the, the pen and paper aspect, while one of my passions, I love, personally, I love building characters and things like that. And so there's programming that we are working on and that we've done before that are, that tackles those types of things. But the shows themselves, I feel like what we try to do is tell stories 
and we use the tools of an RPG to uh, structure those stories. And uh, I don't think that's terribly different from anyone who's streaming RPGs necessarily, but it's we, we obviously have the people that we have, and I think that that makes it different. Uh, and we try to have different voices, and we try to um, uh, tell things in a in in a way that I think is um, unique to us and unique to our our um, our life, I suppose. You know, in a way, uh, not to get too you know uh, overly uh, sentimental about it or or uh, or anything, but it's. It, it's definitely uh, sort of unique from everything else. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's a lot of differences in in sort of how that's portrayed um, and uh, what we kind of focus on. And we honestly, the great thing is we don't have we don't have the load that say Critical Role has in terms of presenting something. When people come into our show they can just they, there is no massive wall of stuff that they have to know and get into um you know that's a that's a great problem to have but it's not something that um uh is a barrier i feel like that a lot of people can't tune into critical role because they they didn't tune into the previous 200 plus episodes and you know that fan base is huge and uh so we have the luxury of being smaller more nimble and we can kind of our stories we can have we can do a beach episode you know one day we can i i have gms coming in going like i planned a fight with a dragon today but instead we just talked about our feelings all day yeah, you know? yeah. that happens um, a lot <laughs> and yeah and i think that that's that's great and we don't again we it's improv you know we we don't have to have a set plan of what we want to do and uh we're able i mean I am not saying that that Critical Role does not have a set plan, but I, we are way easier easier to, to turn our tiny little t uh, 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 rowboat than it is, you know, the HMS Critical Role uh, might be able to. Um, and uh, different strokes for different folks. Uh, again, it's not a slight on on their uh, what they're able to do, um, but it's. I, I feel like we are able to to be a little bit more um, uh, accessible. How how long are your sort of campaigns? Do they you know do they do the two hundred episodes? Do they? Yeah, um, I mean the longest the longest campaign that we did was a five season arc on Wildcards um, when we played Deadlands. Uh, Deadlands Reloaded, the, um, and uh, that I think uh, came to about sixty episodes, seventy episodes, something like that. Um, we tried, we we made a, a conscious decision when we started doing more shows that we weren't just going to do continuing ad infinitum until we got tired. We wanted to give a our players a break and our GMs a break and a time to sort of uh reconnect with the story and everything so we determined there would be seasons uh for our stories so seasons are usually eight to twelve episodes 
depending, and the GM sort of crafts what they want to go to at the end of, you know, from beginning to end. Uh, and everyone else is left in the dark <laughs> as to what that means. So I trust my GMs implicitly to craft a story that will be tellable in that time frame. And, um, and I trust the players to trust the GM. Uh, and so there's, there's a whole lot going on there. And, you know, this falls back into casting and, and all of that stuff. And we want, we want players that are going to be able to, to listen and know that. And so we work with a lot of improvisers and actors and, and people who are, who have training in that regard. Uh, you know, we, you know, we started, you know, we saw critical role. We're like, okay, let's do a campaign. You know, we started with, um, one, actually we, we had a couple of early shows that ended up really kind of letting us figure out different ways to go. So then we did Waterdeep Dragon Heist and that turned into homebrew after that. Uh, just be, you know, the characters were, you know, became very popular and everything. So we're like, okay, so let's convert that into a homebrew. Um, and then going on we have another homebrew but we also see we, we do want to do modules but you know i also don't want to do 100 episodes of out of the abyss or you know i don't you know right. trying to you know i do for you know for a youtube standpoint to get you know playthroughs of popular things to you know help other gms but so i don't know we're we're probably going to do 100 episodes on our main uh water deep show which is now chaos agents and then go to another homebrew for another eighty episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it does until make, they stop talking yeah. about their feelings every day. <laughs> I also yeah. I, I also just gave one of the one of the players a baby that he didn't know that he had. So that's or a child. I do have to say though that <laughs> to your point, the fact that like we do some pre-production meetings, we keep it super loose in the fact that some of the shows we've had pre-production meetings and we know essentially where this arc goes. Um, and just when you get there, you kind of get there. Um, mm -hmm. But sometimes it is disappointing just knowing that like you're supposed to hit a plot point and you're super excited for it. And you're like, come on. And then they just wander off into the woods. You're like. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, in our last, Wildcards campaign. Uh, I know we, we we just finished that campaign. That was four seasons long, um, and it was it was college based, and it was a lot of it was a plot point campaign similar to the modules and D and D and stuff. Um, and we had a lot of people tuning in who had played through the plot point campaign. And whenever our GM Jordan, uh, you know, was running a specific plot point episode. Uh, uh, a lot of the comments would be like, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they going here? Why aren't they doing this? And it's like, hey, this is the beauty of RPGs, you know? We, we don't, A, we don't have to, uh, and, and B, uh, there are other things that we want to tackle. And, and like with Wild Cards, we, we took a very sort of serious, realistic approach to that setting, to, to East Texas University, and also to Deadlands, which lent itself more to that. But um, it was about finding the truth of what we would do. And it, it, it's frustrating, and I get it, to a lot of people who are like, I, just, uh, my, my characters wouldn't do this. My characters would create this and do this and do that and do the other thing. And, and I, my answer is always, that's awesome. I love it. Because it's, that's the beauty of RPGs, is that you, 
no two people are going to play it the same way. No two GMs are going to run it the same way. Uh, and um, it, I feel the, the part of the, the value of um, streamed RPGs is not to see a way to run it, but to see a way it was run. Uh, and and hopefully have that inform how you know you see something that you like and you can pull from that. Do any of your shows or any of your players go back? Like, how are your postmortems on your shows? Are they some technical and some story driven? Um, do you guys do postmortems? I know even when I play in a home game, I'm always like, what did we screw up? What did we miss? Like, that's always my question. We do. They're they're fairly loose. Um, they don't always happen. Sometimes it's just I need to go home. It's late, you know. Especially wild cards. We're ending at like one in the morning or something like that. <laughs> so like this is a great time. I enjoyed every second of it. I have to sleep. Um, but uh, yeah, we often will talk, especially if something came up that no one was expecting. Uh, you know, I I go back to the safety tools and uh, stuff that we do. We do lines and veils. Uh, uh, we use X cards. We use several several tools to help facilitate safety at the table. But we, you know, can't catch everything, obviously. And so sometimes those things will come up. So a lot of times when we do postmortems, it's hey, let's look at that language. Let's let's look at what we were talking about here. Is this a topic that you want to not cover again? You know, things like that. Um, Technically, technical stuff. The the nice thing about the studio is that it's set up and it's there's not there's not much to do. All of my cameras are locked, so it's uh, I, there's nothing, you know. And I would love to have moving cameras and camera operators to move them, but uh, until then, everything is pretty well locked. So unless there's a catastrophic issue with the computer or some some device in there, technical stuff usually doesn't. You know, happen. It's not. I'm never going like, "Hey, you need to speak up" or anything like that. That that usually doesn't happen. How are you doing your audio uh, when you are in uh, locally? Are you doing labs uh, or we used we used to do labs, um, but now we actually just have we have three microphones um, on either side of the table for the players. We have a Rode NT1A uh, and similar to what I'm using right now. And then the GM has a Audio-Technica AT875, I think. Um, so he's kind of got a boom mic on him. And then we have a couple of cardioids basically on either side of the table. It's great when we've got five people there. Uh, when we add more people, I usually have to bring in another mic because that person's starting to trail off of that cardioid pattern. Uh, but uh, but it's it's opened up so much for us in terms of, we can wear costumes without uh, problems. People can get up and go to the bathroom without issue. <laughs> All of these things, because um, we weren't using, uh, we're just in a concrete box. So wireless uh, stuff with all of the Wi-Fi and cell phones and stuff, it's just, it's not, it doesn't work. Uh, so when we were using LAVs, we were all wired in. And so everyone would get up and then, <laughs> you know, always do that. Or their lob would get turned and twisted around or anything, or they would keep doing this or whatever. So yeah, once we were able to set up a, a static audio system, it every a lot of problems went away. And so I'm very happy with that. But uh, it took a lot of time and a lot of people coming in, helping me out with that because I'm not an audio guy. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, 
Uh, and and I, I constantly see ways that we can improve it. Thank you, Dom, for joining us here mm-hmm. uh, on the Untitled thank, thank Podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I, uh, I loved every second of it. I hope I can come back. So I think that does it for this week on the Untitled Podcast. Is there any other ramblings that you need to address before we leave? Uh, so the only other ramblings are we are about to hit a very busy time period for myself during the day wise so uh we'll see how often we can actually get these done oh it's going to be my terrible editing skills Mm -hmm. which is none so i hate editing we're trying to uh, line up some very cool guests Mm -hmm. uh some of them are in the uk so the time zone is is a bit different uh some of them are very famous game designers so it should be exciting yep i look forward to the summer if it ever gets here